We have an interesting interview with the former member of the AUB Polygamy Group, also known as the All Red Group, next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? Through the years, we have had the privilege of interviewing former members of several different uh, people from many of the Mormon different polygamy groups, and there are several different groups around. The three largest groups are, and the most influential polygamy groups are the FLDS, the Kingston Group, and the All Red Polygamy Group, also known as the AUB. It's interesting that these three groups also have drawn more attention because of their illegal activities in our communities and the oppression of their members. Now, today we have another interview of a former member of the All Red Group. She's been out for several years, but has a vivid memory and recall of the group's indoctrinations, the gaslighting, and their oppression, as well as abusive lifestyles, which they force on the very members that make up their group. We'd like to introduce and welcome as our special guest, Emily Lee. Thank you, Emily, for coming. Thank you for having me. And for sharing. You're welcome. <laughs> How important is it to share, do you think, to, to let people know what really is taking place in polygamy groups? I think it's very important because there is so much repression in the groups and so much that's hidden or swept under the rug. Right. And any aspect that we can get out is something that could help to save someone. Yeah, and it's not really a live and let live safe environment. No, it's definitely not. And, uh, that's the attitude of a lot of people is, oh, they're not harming me, they're not harming them, let them believe what they want, leave them alone. Right. I hear that a lot. Yeah, I, I do too. Yeah. Um, people call it courageous when we can come out and talk about it and tell our stories. Would you call it courageous or obligation or desperate? Or <laughs> <laughs> Probably all three. <laughs> yeah. I've had people say, oh, you were so courageous to leave when I left when I was 18. You left when you were young, too. Uh, but I wasn't courageous. I was scared to death. Yeah. But it was self-preservation to an extent. Yeah, I agree with that. To be able to get out. But I wouldn't talk about it then. I was scared to death to talk about it. It's important to tell our stories. Uh, perhaps maybe it'll give someone else the courage to get out. Right, yeah. To hear somebody say what you have to say. Yeah, it is important. And I think you never know who you're going to touch or what you might say mm -hmm. that will turn the light on for someone else. Right. Because it is such a dark place to live and to be. Mm -hmm. And it creates a lot of darkness throughout the rest of your life, right. even if you've left and started a new life or continued with your life and just left that kind of in the background. Mm -hmm. um, I think talking about it really, we, raising awareness to it because there is so much abuse. There is. And not even just physical, there's the emotional and psychological aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely is. And it stays with you for a long, long time. It does, yeah. I just talked with another lady this morning. She's concerned about her mother who was raised in the LeBaron group and, and the trauma. Her mother's been out for years, mm -hmm. but her mother's still facing the trauma of what she went through yeah. after all these years. Yeah. Uh, and so it is there, and polygamy group is very oppressive, and it's not a live-and-let-live situation. Uh, you were born—let's let's go back to—you were born in the 
in the AUB, who was the leader when you were born? It's not the same leader as today, but who was the leader when you were in the group? Owen Allred was the leader. And was he popular? Did everybody like him? Did Were you fond of him? I, I He was like a grandfather to me. My dad really looked up to him. So, um, And then he was actually married to my father's mother. And... So I, I did like him growing mm -hmm. up. I didn't know a lot about him mm -hmm. other than the times that we would see him uh, for a family get-together or, you know, in church. Um, but I learned more about him the older I got. And, yeah. uh, but he was there the whole time I was there, mm -hmm. or I was so there. He was the leader still after you left. And there's been a couple right. of leaders since, but... He was the one that was there. Um, how many wives did your father have, and which wife was your mother? My father, growing up, he had five or six. Um, he had one that had left him. His first wife had left him. Okay. And then my mom was the second wife. So did she become the first legal wife after the first wife left, or did she remain the second? No, she. They, he never legally married after that. Um, oh, really? Until... Later on, he did marry an, a wife kind of in secret. Mm -hmm. uh, legally married. Legally married her. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Okay. So how many children did your mom have? My mom has 11. 11 kids. Yep. Where are you at in that number? Number five. Uh, oh, you're right in the middle. Yeah. There, huh? Yeah. Uh, how many children total does your father have with all of the wives? All together. Growing up, so there's 39 that I, I mean, I've counted 39. He did take an eighth wife in January. I don't know how many children she has. Mm. I, I did hear the other day that he is counting those kids in his mm -hmm. numbers. Okay. So, but I don't know what that so total is. So have over 40 kids. Then. Right. 40. I, I would assume she probably has six or eight. So he's probably got about 45. So the women of all, they always have encouraged large families. <clears throat> right, they in do. These, in these polygamy groups. Um, so how old were you when you left? I, I started to work my way out, I want to say about 14 years old. Ooh. And I think probably the last time I went to a church service, I would have been 19 so I went off and on a little bit through my teen years, uh -huh. um, but I don't think I've attended a church service since I was 19. Did you get uh, any negative feedback on your desire to get out? Was there any tr anybody try to force you or give you destruction? God will get you for this, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> well, that was pretty common sense. I think it that felt like common sense that there was some destruction because of the things that we were taught. Yeah. Um, my dad really wanted us to stay in the church. And if we didn't stay in the church, then by all means, we needed to go to the Mormon church. Mm -hmm. So this was the one true church. This was going to get us to the highest degree of heaven. Yeah. And if we failed to do that, could we at least... Go the second them. best. Right, right. <laughs> well, and they and they believe that the LDS church is still the true the true church. They just lost their priesthood authority when they gave up polygamy. Is that right? That's my understanding of it. Or or that the LDS church is like the mother 
and the polygamous church is like the father. They hold the priesthood, and someday they'll come back together mm -hmm. and unite the two. And, but the AUB will be over the LDS church at that point right. because they are the ones that hold the priesthood. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Okay, so now when you were growing up uh, during that time, did they have private school or did the children go to public school? How, how did your education go? I think that they had both. The AUB has its own church school, mm -hmm. and so some people did homeschool. Uh, I think a lot of the really righteous people at the AUB, their kids went to the AUB church for all of their lives. I had a little bit of a mix. I went to public school. I went to the AUB church, mm -hmm. um, I think for probably two years. And then I had a year I didn't go to school. And then I went to public school, went back to public school uh -huh. and then dropped out. Okay. Did they encourage the, the people to drop out? The Kingston group did. They encouraged, especially if you're a female, they did not encourage you to get an education. Yeah, I, there wasn't a really big academic push that I recall. Church, will, or excuse me, school wasn't really a big... Important thing. Important thing, yeah. The church was what was important, yeah. and doing yeah. the church. So when you went to the AUB school, did they teach... The, the academics, or did they teach mostly the religious part of uh, of your life? If I remember correctly, it was both. There was there was a mix of both things. A lot of the teachers <clears throat> at the AUB um, school were parents. So if your children went there, I think you got a discounted um, tuition. Mm-hmm. And so all of the teachers that I remember were parents whose children were attending. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that they were, anyone was certified to be a teacher or... <laughs> that interesting? Yeah, it is. It's the same with the Kingston group. There are a lot of uncertified teaching. Yeah. Teaching, and they do a lot of indoctrination uh, of the, the history of their group. And right, right. And They're incorporating classes. their beliefs into the education why did you decide to leave? Did you realize it wasn't true or did you care? I remember at a young age, I have one very specific memory, probably 10 years old. And this woman was teaching us that we would become like gods and that the people of the world would be our servants and they would wash our feet. Yeah. And I remember thinking to myself at that very young age, that can't be right. Oh, that can't be right. Yeah. And Good. so I feel like I just kind of started to pull away from the teachings and the church. Isn't that interesting that such a young, uh, one little thing like that will, it, with me it was why God didn't love the black people. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't get that. And the excuses they gave me, you know, and of course, that's just one. And then it takes one little more thing and another thing to where mm -hmm. you kind of pull back and go. Well, yeah, you, you do end up pulling away. And to that same account, it, when I was 15 and there was um, an earthquake or the hurricane or something in Haiti. And I told my grandma that I wanted to adopt a baby from Haiti. Ooh. And she 
came unglued. She oh, was, yeah, I can see that. I got a good lecture on how we don't mix race and yeah. we don't mix seed and we don't. Oh. And so I never had a conversation with her like yeah, that again. Yeah. But. That's so sad, so sad that mm -hmm. they, have, they take that. I want to uh, talk about various topics about uh, that relate to Mormon polygamy and how, you know, I'm from the Kingston group. It's uncanny how so many of us uh, of the different groups all believe the same thing and yet we're different in right. so many other in so many other ways but when you get right down to treatment and doctrine there's a lot of of sameness right in and the growing up of the um, children in the groups I would th I would say that if report cards were issued to polygamy groups on the topics we're going to discuss, every single one of them would have all Fs. <laughs> they would fail miserably in all of these things. But we all have triggering points, and especially after we leave, we have triggering points that that might trigger us back to a memory of being in the group and some of the negatives that happened during that time. Uh, and we also have a learning and an unlearning process. Uh, we had to learn new ways of thinking and doing things, and we had to unlearn, which kind of shocked me. You know, I knew I'd learn something new, but I didn't know I'd have to unlearn some stuff. What are the, some of the things that you had to unlearn? I'm learning right now a lot of things that I have to unlearn. <laughs> it is a process. It, it is a process. It definitely is. I think one of the biggest things I've had to unlearn is that women aren't equal to men in their rights in everything in everything <laughs> yeah. right yeah and that's been really hard to unlearn it is it is hard because you know it from the cradle right that's what you're taught right in all of mormonism too that's the yes. church as well yes as the, the lds groups. church as well yeah so that that men are superior that their needs are more important than the needs of the wives and children and and the opinions um, are their opinions are greater their opinions are right and that i need to look to a man whether that's a husband or a father to mm -hmm. make decisions or to know what's right for me was your mother able, did she have the right to make any of her own decisions? Or if she had to make a decision, did she have to wait until your dad made them for him? It was more in that direction. Sometimes she made decisions because she had to make decisions. He wasn't there. Yeah. Right, he wasn't there. But the majority of the time, I remember, I need to talk to dad about that yeah. or... We need to ask your dad. Um, and in turn, if he if he had a, a difficult decision to make or something that maybe would be um, a, of a religious nature, did he have to go to the leader to get his decision? With the Kingston group, you have to go to the leader if you're going to make a major decision, like buy a car or buy a house or something. No, yeah. no, not like that, no. He, he made those decisions on his own. Oh, okay. So he was part of the council. The AUB has the prophet and then the council. I don't know if that's different with the Kingston it group. It is. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He, he was put on the council when I was five, I think, five yeah. or six. Yeah. So I don't know if that gave him a leg up in those decision-making processes or if it's just 
pretty standard. Probably gave him a little bit of a leg up. I would think being part of the council is pretty elite, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, Mormon polygamy groups are organized as united orders. I think the Kingston is more tightly a united order than some of the other groups are, but I do know that the All Red Group is a united order, and it's supposed to guarantee that no one has too much and no one has too little. (laughs) Supposed to. (laughs) How has that worked out in the AUB? I don't think that that's followed very closely (laughs) in the AUB. I know that they have a section of the church that was... That was really formed with the United Order, uh-huh. and th- that wasn't even equal from what I know. I had a sister that lived in that specific city, um, Rocky Ridge, but uh-huh. I don't know that it was United Order through all of the AUB. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, uh, now, don't they? Uh, they do believe in the law of consecration. They do, yeah. Which that is supposed to be what the United Order is. You consecrate everything you have and are to to the group. But so maybe I'm confused then in what exactly it means. You give everything to the group. You and give then everything, they, and then, then they, they div- divvy it back out. If you need it, you then you can go there and get it. Yeah, I don't recall that. That's how it was. I mean, I remember being told that, like, my dad's houses were titled to the church. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, that they were added to those things. But I don't recall that they ever, that we ever went to the church to get money for a car or... So it was all some money he made himself. Right, and, right. And you had access to that money anytime you wanted? Well, he had his own money. And then each one of the wives had their own money. And, or, or if they didn't work, he gave them a small stipend of money every month when he could do that. When he could. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now with the Kingston group, you have to go to them if you need money. If you need 20 bucks, you've got to go to them and get it. Wow. And then they'll say, why do you need it? And you'll say, well, I need to get a new tire for my car. And they'll say, well, we'll give you $15 instead of 20 or, you know, whatever the amount might be. They'll, <laughs> they'll shoot you down. But uh, that, but so it is, and it's supposed to be equal, but it's not. It never is. Of course it's not. Right, right. Um did many families live in poverty in the AUB? Uh, lack of food? Did they have lack of resources? Extreme poverty. Yeah, there was extreme poverty. There was extreme poverty in my own family. In your family. Yeah, and I and I knew a lot of families that had the same type of poverty. But the money that the that the father or the male figure made for the family, that he would still tithe a lot of that money to the church, right? Right, right. So they would still tithe. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't even, at, at least in our family, it wasn't because most of the wives worked. And so it wasn't that they put in and each wife for their children or for her household would draw from a common fund. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't even remember. I know the LDS Church has their 
bishop's storehouse and right. and things like that. Right. Um, I don't recall that there's ever been anything like that, even in the AUB. And, and I don't think I can recall that in the Kingston group as well. Although there's supposed to be that resource available. Right. You, in the, reality. you would think it should be that way, right. especially with the amount of money that's being saved. Exactly. Tied. Yeah. So exactly. Because they're worth millions. They're worth millions in dollars. Oh yeah. Yeah. And and I know that the, all of the polygamy groups have a ton of money. Yes. Let's talk about the fear factor. Now, there's implanted fear uh, in children born in the polygamous cult. So it's planned that way. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you put enough fear in them, then they'll never leave and they'll always be faithful members of the group. Um, in your own experience, would you explain the kinds of threats or fears or warnings that caused worked its way into your life that maybe you lived in perpetual tension i i remember being afraid of everything my whole life yeah i grew up with such an incredible amount of anxiety all the time oh yeah i don't have a memory from my very first memory that isn't overshadowed with crippling anxiety and a lot of it is I mean, you're taught to be afraid of everything. You're taught to be afraid that the police can take you at any moment. Mm -hmm. You're taught to be afraid that um, nurses and doctors will do whatever medical care that they want. And if you don't agree with what they want to do, then they can take you mm -hmm. and you'll be given to other families. You're mm -hmm. taught that um, to be... I remember in public school, I remember being taught about the mark of the beast and that we needed to always be on high alert, that they were going to come to our school and they were going to line all of the kids up and you would get the mark of the beast oh in your hand. And so if oh you saw word. that that was coming, then you needed to get out of there as fast as you could. And if you could get your siblings that were there as well and run straight home. And I always had a crippling fear of being taken. Mm -hmm. I always thought that I would be taken and that it's I would never see my mom. We were taught, now some of our fears were different than those, but we were taught always, you know, they could come and get you. And they could, and I always wished they would. <laughs> I wanted out. <laughs> my, my life was pretty, you know, miserable and, and very abusive. And so I, I wouldn't have cared if they'd come to get me. But I did love my siblings, and I, right. you know, that that was another fear factor for me too. Yeah, yeah. I'd lose them, and that they would be hurt. Mm. But the fear is is debilitating mm -hmm. that they give you, and then when we leave, I don't know if it's the same with you, th that fear will follow you, mm -hmm. and you have to learn to live, understanding that it's not real. And that's the an unlearning thing. Is yeah, it take it can take a very long time. It's a very long time. Mm -hmm. I'm 41, and I would say this last year has been the first year of my life that I've had to not keep anxiety medicine in my purse. Mm. And wow. I've always been afraid to not have anxiety medicine in yeah. case I have, you know, a severe panic attack in yeah. addition to the normal anxiety. Right. So That's it's, yeah, yeah, it follows you for the rest of your life. It, it's really sad. Um, it wasn't until I actually that I started studying the Bible and found out who Jesus really is and who God really is and what salvation really is that my fear left. 
Yeah. Yeah, and and um, still once in a while, you know, there there might be something come up that triggers, you know, one of those triggering right, things. Right, right. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> and then I have to tell myself the truth. Um, and, and I wanted to talk about the fear of doctors and medicines, but you pretty much covered up, you covered that part of it where they, they actually, I think I read in one of Rulin Allred's sermons that we are not, they were not supposed to uh, give their medical operations or life over to an unknown, someone they didn't know. And why why risk that with yeah. a doctor that you didn't know? So, but he didn't give a better alternative, you know, what to do. Well, he, he so surgery. he became the doctor for. But he wasn't a medical doctor, or a surgeon. No, he wasn't. He delivered a lot of babies, yeah. and so a lot of people went to him for general family medicine care. Right, right. And then I know in the AUB, there's a couple of doctors and a nurse practitioner and. Midwives and midwives, yep, yep. Now, this is the same group. I don't like to talk about sister wives a whole lot because I think they glamorize polygamy too much, although it's falling apart now. But that's the same group. AUB is the same group that the sister wives, Pat Cody Brown and those wives, were part of. Are they still members of the group? As far as I know, they are. They're still members. Yeah. Even though all of this is falling around their heads. Yeah, they're still... um, have a lot of family in the church and they're still connected to their family and mm-hmm. and whether or not they attend church regularly I don't know I know they could go and do it at any time but yeah yeah um I don't know if you saw the interview that they did in Las Vegas many many years ago um uh, would include Christine Cadis and Colleen Snow and a few other people that they were talking about the ravages of polygamy and the sister wives were trying to defend it and and it just broke my heart when I saw how they were treated. Colleen was one of those girls that was so mistreated in polygamy, mm-hmm. in Kingston group. Yeah. And they just almost totally discounted her pain. And I thought, that is so wrong. So wrong that they can do that. Yeah. Um, and yet, uh, so many people that are in polygamy discount the pain of others who are in polygamy. Mm-hmm. And are they in denial? I, they have to suffer the same <laughs> jealousies and all that. What is it? They are, a lot of them are in denial, and a lot of it is gaslighting as well. And it's they've got to put on this front and this face that it's okay so yeah. that the states believe them alone and they can go about their business. And it's not okay. It's awful. It's not okay. And no two stories are exactly the same. Mm-mm. Everyone that comes into it and comes out of it will have a different story, their own story. Do you think your mother was happy in polygamy? No. Sharing her husband? No. I, I think that she did the best that she could, and she was willing to sacrifice a lot more, I think, than the other wives were. And so she kind of was the glue. She would plan the parties. She would pull the family together. Mm-hmm. She was willing to give up her time if my father was having an issue with another wife. Um, So she was always really giving, and yet I don't believe that she was ever really happy. But she believed in what she was doing. She really believed she had to do this to please God and to get to that part in heaven she wanted to be at. Yeah. 
Yeah. And the harder it is here, the bigger your kingdom in heaven. It's what my mother believed, for sure. And it's almost like she, she'd she say, bring it on, you know, because she knew when, <laughs> when she got there, she would have a greater, she said God owed her a greater debt for the more mm. pain she suffered here. Of course, God owes no one anything. Right, right. But that was a misconception, the lies that they're told Yeah. to do that, stepping yeah. all the way back to Joseph Smith and his revelation on polygamy. Well, we're about out of time. Uh, we're going to extend this to a two-part. And so uh, we invite you to watch next time as we do part two in our interview, uh, learning more about Emily's experience in the polygamy group and some of her thoughts on some of these topics. So be sure and watch us next time on Polygamy. What love is this for part two? Thank you. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.